Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I am chatting with Selena Leong, who got her start in the fashion industry in a really backwards, roundabout way. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but uh, you could probably tell from the title of this episode, she did not go to fashion school, and she's now had about a 20-year career in the industry, Um, and she walks us through her entire journey from how she got started with that first job, how that transitioned into the next gig, into the next gig, into the next gig. She worked her way from doing product development type of work to doing actual design work. And she also talks really transparently about some of the ups and downs of being in the industry. You know, there the, our industry can be known for having a lot of layoffs and gaps in between work for reasons that are out of your control. And I know a lot of you out there are going through some of this stuff because I hear from you and I know it can be a hard time. Um, Selena has gone through a lot of this as well in her 20 year career. And I appreciate her so humbly and openly talking about how to deal with those transitions when you're sending out a bunch of applications and you're not hearing back and what that struggle is like, but how to keep yourself pushing forward because that next opportunity can be right around the corner. So don't feel alone. Uh, Many people have gone through all this stuff and Selena was so gracious enough to talk about it openly and transparently with us here on the podcast. So I'm really, really excited for you to hear her story, including all the good parts and also all the bad parts. So thank you so much for listening. Um, Before we get to the interview, quick friendly reminder that SFD is way more than just a podcast. Um, I know a lot of you tune in on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you hit play and have no idea what else we do, but Successful Fashion Designer has tons of other resources, templates, tutorials, eBooks, most of which, 90, 95% of which are absolutely free. Um, And I want to make sure that you get access to all those resources to help you get ahead in your fashion career, to help you launch your own brand, whatever is that you're trying to do, whether it's get a job, freelance, or kickstart your own brand, there are resources within the SFD network to help you do that. So here's what I want to do. I want to get all those resources to you delivered on a silver platter. And the best way to do that is to hit pause on this recording and head over to soheidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. Drop your information there and I will send you all my best stuff right away, absolutely free. So uh, definitely check all of that out. Um, For reference to all of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can access the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And now let's jump into the episode with Selena. Welcome, Selena, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, Can you start by introducing yourself to everyone and letting them know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Hi, my name is Selena, and I am currently working as a graphic artist in LA. Uh, Prior to that, I was a denim designer, and prior to that, I was a knits graphic designer. And prior to that, I did a bunch of product development. 
Yeah. Okay. And so take us back to the very beginning because if I understand correctly, you did not go to fashion school. I didn't. I actually went to school for liberal arts. I wanted to be a professor. So I wanted to film theory or something. But um, the whole time I was in college, I worked uh, high-end retail. And then afterwards, I wound up uh, getting a um, a temp job at Ralph Lauren in the production department. So it was doing knits and sweaters for black label and purple label, which are like the two most fancy, expensive things. And uh, that was kind of how I got my start. So how, like, how do you go from no fashion degree, working retail to getting a temp job doing some, I mean, I imagine it was low level assistant type of design stuff at Ralph Lauren. Like how did, I know I, I know temp jobs kind of can be these obscure opportunities, but like, how did that actually happen? Uh, I lived in New York at the time. That's where I'm from originally. And um, I signed up with, uh, I guess, a random agency that does a lot of just general stuff. And they placed me there. And it was kind of administrative, but I started to learn things, you know, like slowly and surely. Like it was a lot of Excel charts. And, <laughs> but really, like, I kind of got backdoored, as I like to say, into the industry through that. Wow. And so when you first saw that opportunity come up, were you like, eh, okay, whatever, like I'll just do it because I'm just doing a job? Or were you like, oh, this could be kind of interesting? It was really soul-suckingly boring. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was a job. It paid the bills in the meantime. And, you know, it was, you know, it paid my rent. So I was like, okay, it's fine. I did it for like a year and a half. And then I wound up finding a full-time job at uh, another company called Sean John, which, you know, yeah. you may know of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so wait, you were at Ralph Lauren for a year and a half. Was that all through, like, this temp job opportunity? Yes. Okay, yes. so you maintained working at Ralph Lauren through the temp agency. Just, it was a really yeah. long temp job. Exactly. It's kind of like permalance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And so that whole time you were there, were you continuing to mostly do administrative spreadsheet type of stuff? It was learning uh, how to do costing, which, you know, kind of important to do. (laughs) Uh, Learning about yields and uh, BOMs, which, you know, to a designer is pretty important down the line. Yeah. Uh, Learning how to, uh, just the production aspect and, you know, learning about like cut, make, and transit or just like different kinds of like just the production end of how to, you know, get the design made and into the store. So it was a lot of logistics stuff. Okay. So it was um, definitely an eye-opening experience, and like that's where you got all your your you kind of built your foundation. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, and so then how did you get the job at Sean John? Well, having a year and a half, you know, under my belt, they're like, okay, so I went up doing production there, uh, but I got hired at the end of or middle of December, and layoffs happened in January, <laughs> and so ten percent of the company got laid off, and as they say, last one in, first one out, so. Yeah. You were there for like a minute. I was there for like, what, six weeks, if even. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's something you just applied to off online, or I guess, I don't know. When was, where are we in the timeline? I know this is quite a while ago. Very much the beginning of my career, I would say. So this is like, uh, like early 2000s. Okay. And so this was something you had just applied for online or? Um, I remember it was through style careers. I can't remember if I applied. Oh. I must have applied. Yeah, I must have applied because that, I just, yeah, got the job through there. Okay. So that didn't last long. No. And then <laughs> what happened? Not. 
uh, I wound up going to Aeropostal because they were launching um, or relaunching this line called uh, Jimmy Z, which I think in the 80s was a big surf company, and they bought the rights, and so they were going to relaunch it. And so I went going there as an assistant product manager. So it was doing product development and production for okay. the juniors, women's knits and sweaters, because that's where my background was at this point. From um, from Ralph Lauren. Yeah, and exactly. Okay, gotcha. And again, did that is that something you just applied blindly to off of style careers? Um, I think I was just hitting everything at that point. It was like style careers. It might have been through various agencies, but... Uh, yeah, it was probably through style careers at that point. Okay. Because, you know, at this time, that was like the premier way to find a job. Yeah. In that industry. Yeah. yeah. And so what did you have put together at this stage? Did you have like a little portfolio or something to show? How were you uh, presenting yourself? For production and product development, you definitely don't need a portfolio. It is more just, you know, like understanding like time and action, which is super important. Like understanding like the timing to get something made. Um Let's see, you know, basically knowing how to use Excel <laughs> is pretty key. Uh, knowing different techniques, uh, understanding just the process of like approvals and, you know, getting submits and either maybe understanding how to look at color or looking at, you know, trims and being able to approve them or reject them. Yeah. Can you explain um, a TNA calendar, a time and action calendar? Um, as I think a lot of sure. listeners have not heard about that before. A time and action calendar is basically what every the entire team from design to production relies on to get uh, your designs into the store or into your you know the, the the distribution center in a timely manner. So let's say your retailer wants something in their distribution center and like. Um, I don't know, let's say 3.30, you've got to work backwards from there to understand when you need to approve everything, uh, you know, by the, confirm the bulk fabrics, you know, and approve like all the different trims, lab dips and things like that. So you kind of have to work backwards. Okay. Yeah. Great explanation of what that is. It's a, it's a very essential tool in our industry, but I know a lot of people coming out of school or who are a little bit green, um, don't, aren't aware of this specific It's tool. huge. Like, yeah. Like, when designers are like, oh, I'm going to be a designer. I'm going to draw beautiful things. I'm like, that's not what you're going to be doing. It's <laughs> a break it to you. It's not that exciting. Even <laughs> as a designer, there's still a lot. Like outside of the production side of things, as the actual designer, there's still a lot of Excel time. Oh, yeah. Um, at my last job, it was a lot of it was like uh, using Excel to track uh, fabrications, yeah. uh, to track style numbers. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of times, to uh, you have all these different silhouettes. You've got to use like an intuitive system so like you know something like the letter will be assigned to a certain body or something so there's a lot of uh yeah uh, excel we actually had a sheet an excel sheet in google uh-huh. the cloud yeah that we desperately relied on and somehow it disappeared oh no and, oh my god oh my god we, we had to call google and they couldn't find it and it was just like wait how do you um, even how do you call google <laughs> I, I made my boss do it. He just looked kind of clueless. There's like Google help for like the cloud. Oh. We're on, we're on G Suite. So I think because it's a paid, you know, paid, service. Oh, gotcha. But they were not able to locate it. And oh, so no. I was like, it was right before I resigned. I want to let everyone know I did not delete that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, you guys are totally uh, screwed. Oh, <laughs> so <my God>. sorry. <laughs> 
Yeah. So smell is hugely important. Yeah. It's it's best for tracking things. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you didn't really need any type of portfolio to present yourself. Like what you had on paper on your resume was sufficient to show like, listen, I know how to do all these things. And so you, you're, you're now at Aeropostal and Mm -hmm. you're doing, you said you were like an assistant product development manager or something like that. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what was that experience like? How long were you there? I was there for almost two years. It was pretty chill. Uh, we launched the new line. We had a, we had a storefront in um, in Manhattan on 34th Street, Herald Square, and so that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah like the day to day was basically working with the factories, um, working with design, working with graphic team, working with the merchant to get everything in a timely manner. I mean, that's that's the big thing: timely manner. Yeah. And um, so you know, let's say I'd be pressing the factories like. Hey, where's my submits? We need to approve it. And so it's that giving it to, you know, the proper team like design or graphics, they need to look at it and approve it. And then if not, we sit down and work out why and, you know, you know, establish that and explain it to the factory or um, let's say looking at color, lab dips, things like that. Usually um, the design team will look at that, but in some cases, you know, we would have to look at it. Um, let's see. And also costing. So sitting down, working with the factories and saying, okay, why are you charging me, you know, $6 for this polo? I need you to break it down, you know, and, you know, for, for like the fabric, for the trim, for the, for the, you know, the manufacturing, the, the transit, all that stuff. So it's learning quite a lot. And then you start, um, complaining like, all right, well, last year we only paid five fifty for this. Why are we paying $6? (laughs) A lot of haggling. A lot of haggling. Yeah. I ever had five cents. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. But when it comes down to, you know, like 20,000 units, it that adds five up. cents adds up. Yeah. Yep. It does every penny. And then yep, it, it counts. Yeah, it does. It sure does count. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you were there for two years as the assistant product development manager. That seems yeah. like a big jump to me to have gone from a production associate at Ralph Lauren being like your absolute first job in the industry, no previous training or experience, and then jumping to, albeit assistant, but but assistant manager level. Well, it was a very low-paying job. So Okay, so <laughs> maybe was, the title was just glorified a little yeah. bit. Okay. Yeah, entry level. Okay. It, you know, because I had my boss, and she was the manager, and she'd had probably like, I don't know, eight years of experience, and there was me with that too. So, okay. yeah. Okay. All right, so you were there for a couple years, and then what did you do? What did I do? This is where things get a little bit blurry. <laughs> <laughs> it's the time of my life where I'm like, I don't recall what happened. Yeah, yeah I'm like asking uh, to go back like 15 years too. Ooh, what happened? Who was I? But I think I freelanced a lot after that. Oh. I just kind of was just jumping around using the agencies. It was before the you know the giant economic crash of 2008. Yeah. So, Jobs were pretty easy to come through. You know, like I was just, you know, be like, I don't like this anymore. I, I don't want to go. Yeah. And uh, so then, you know, I'd call the agents and be like, I want something else. So, but it, I still stuck in the similar um, vein of doing like product development. And basically product development, um, depending on the company, it's the process of getting the samples made before there's an actual order. So it's kind of like production, but there's not as much pressure. Just getting samples made to make sure that those are right, and then we're going to dive into the full production. Exactly. And it's like handling, the, the, there's like a handoff from the design team. They'll be like, here's our tech pack. You know, here are all the colors you want. Here are all the graphics. So, you know, you go through all of that, and you kind of have to digest it and 
put it into a, an Excel chart so that you can track it. And so you, once you issue the tech packs, you can tell the factories like, okay, I need lab dips within, I don't know, two weeks. It's usually like two week turnaround for everything. Right. If, if right. this is overseas, you right, know, right. which, you know, most stuff is, unless you're working like super high end domestic, but you know, for, you know, import, it's like two week turnaround for, you know, everything. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and when you say freelance, I'm assuming that's a little more of like the the permalancer, like you go on site for three months and work on a project and then you're off to the next exactly. job. Okay, not like yeah. true working freelance remote, managing your own projects and stuff. No, it's in New York, it's just, you know, it's know. easy to, yeah. you just jump on the subway every day yeah. and go to an office and everyone's pretty much located in Manhattan in like yeah. a certain like 18 block radius. It's crazy, but awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's why New York is a great city for fashion. Yeah. Okay, so you did that for a couple of years and you jumped around, but you you continued to do mostly product development type of work um, yes. and didn't venture into design yet, it sounds like. No. Um, okay, so when did you... Yeah, go ahead. I would say that the job that kind of launched me into that was a product development job at a now defunct children's wear company. And I started there as a, as a, a freelancer. Um, and I was like, okay, it was, but it was a little bit different than what I was used to. It was still the same, you know, um, you know, tracking things, working with the factory, blah, 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 that boring crap. But here's the stuff where I started to get to use Illustrator and I was like, oh, okay. And it, it was like working with the factory and making like actually making the tech packs. And so taking the sketches and translating it to like an, oh, an actual workable concept. So this is where I was like, ooh, Illustrator. All right. It was a whole new world for me. <laughs> yeah. And how, was it just the way the company was set up differently that the product developer also dabbled a little bit into design or somehow you just got the opportunity to do it? Because a lot, I know a lot of people who feel like maybe they get pigeonholed in like product development or as a tech designer and they want to get over to the more creative side of things, which it sounds like for you just happened pretty easily, seamlessly. Like what did that really look like? Um, it was just, I think, the way the company was set up, you know, so I could kind of like work on things and let's see, I'm trying to remember. It, a lot of it was more like everything was already decided, you know, like the silhouettes, the colors, but I got to like actually use Illustrator so that I was like, oh, okay. Or, you know, the designer would be like, you know what, let's change this. You can, you know, uh, rearrange this or, you know, adjust it so that it's a different neckline or something like that. I'm like, ooh, I actually get to touch the sketch. Ah, know? Okay. That was, you know, all established. Like, that's not for you. Okay. But it was like baby steps of like making small modifications or like just yes. getting in there and making some updates and edits. Absolutely. Yes. And I was like, wow, this is, this is fun. I actually yeah. really like that. I was oh, like, yeah. this might be where I want to be. Yeah. How had you been feeling about product development up to this stage? Well, I mean, it was a okay. very different career than what you had initially, initially planned on. I was like, I enjoyed it because it allowed me to like yell at factories <laughs> I get to be bossy, um, which, you know, it, it plays into my like type A, you know, control freak personality. Um, but it's still boring because at that point, all you do is look at spreadsheets all day. Yeah. So it's, it's not the most fun. So here where you get to do that stuff, you know, with like the slightly more creative thing that was like, oh, all right. Now it makes sense to me. This is like pinging my interest. Yeah. Okay, so then what happened? So you're you're at this children's wear company, and you're just getting yeah. to do a little bit of dabbling. 
And they hired me full time and I was there, but it was a company known for like laying people off constantly. <laughs> let's say, let's, I mean, they don't exist anymore, but let's say the owner needed to buy a new Porsche. <laughs> like, Someone's I, losing I, their job. Exactly. Oh I, my I remember, gosh. Uh, yeah. Before I started, I was, uh, I guess the company made uh, the employees take like a 10% cut back at salary, you know, and I was just like, wow, they can do that. It's like, yeah, either that or lose your job. I'm oh like, my gosh. So I was like a little concerned and right as they were hiring me, they laid off an entire team and then put me over there to replace one of the people. And I was just like, this is not leaving a good taste in my mouth. Yeah. Was <laughs> it to do, was, were, they, were you hired to do design or kind of still the same role, like mostly product the development same role. with a little bit product of dabbling? Okay. Yeah. And that was fine, you know, and I was like, wait, this is weird because when you transition from freelance to full-time, you make a lot less money. <laughs> and I was like, wait. You know, with the hourly who were paying me, I was like, ooh, I'm doing great. And then they're like, here's your salary. And I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> Why am I doing this? But it comes with health insurance. All the benefits. Guess, yeah. Yeah, benefits, which is like the big thing. So I was there for a bit. Uh, yeah, learning. And I, I remember I was like, I would stay till like 8 o'clock because I was just like, I actually liked what I was doing so much. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So... So you were there for a little bit, and then did you leave, or did they go defunct, and you kind of left because of that, or what happened? Well, I was actually just kind of, you know, after that hiring process where I was just like, ooh, you know, they laid off a whole team, and I was like, this is very awkward. Yeah. Um, I wound up getting called by a recruiter from their direct uh, competitor across the street. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and the thing is, I in my old... Um, and the person that had been my uh, creative director at this company, she had gone over there. So I called her and I was like, listen, do you think I should come over? And she's like, well, you know, they're really stable. They have, they, you know, all the benefits are fully paid for. And I was like, whoa, that's huge, you know. Um, and they were, they were attached to a really large um, import company from Asia. So it was like, there was like a lot of security, you know. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. It was a different role, though. For this, it was graphic artist, which I was like, um, I don't do graphics. <laughs> but, you know, and the pay was the exact same. But I was like, all right, job security, you know, job security. So I actually took the job and went over there. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was a new process over there. Now, explain um, to listeners, what, how would you define that role as a graphic artist? A graphic artist is not a graphic designer. Right. Um, the graphic designer, you know, designs the graphics. A graphic artist, for the most part, um, does the technical part of the graphic design. Let's say for shirts, you know, you size it. You have to call out the different colors. You call out the placement. And for within uh, sizes, there are different because between an extra small and extra large, it's, the range is so different, you might have to change the, the, the size of the screen so that it looks proportionate to the larger size. Right. So it's a lot of that. And being able to explain to the factory how to do the print, because sometimes there's like, you know, a glitter or foil or something. So you have to be able to explain how you want that to the final look to be. Gotcha. Yeah, so you're not actually doing any of the creative portion, but you are working in Illustrator a lot, doing all the technical specs to make yes. sure that the artwork comes out correctly on the garments. It was Illustrator, Photoshop, and InDesign. We yeah. did all our sizing and InDesign. So oh, that was learning another thing, and I'm like, I was like, ooh, all right. But, you know, learning on the job is, is great. You get paid yeah. to learn something. Yeah. So I appreciated that. So how did you feel about that type of role? It was fairly different, a lot less spreadsheets. 
Yeah, it was different. Um, it was learning a lot, and I wasn't mad at it. It was a little <laughs> bit boring. <laughs> a little bit boring sometimes. You're just like, okay, I'm just sizing things, cutting things out, printing them, and putting them on a shirt to make sure it looks okay. Right. But you learn about the print process, you know, and you learn about, which is a whole new world, you know, to, to especially coming from, you know, a different background. So you learn about how you know, let's say sublimation is 100%, you know, uh, polyester, and you can print there. You don't have to call out colors, where if it's, you know, a water-based ink, it usually goes on light-colored shirts, where if it's black, it has to be a different kind of um, ink or different techniques so that it shows up. So it was like a lot of technical stuff. So it was really cool to learn all that. Okay. Interesting. And so, um, so how long did you stay there for? Um, the irony is they wound up laying off like, oh like my God. 15, 30% of the company, like six months or like eight months later, because they were owned, they had been bought out by that large, you know, Chinese conglomerate. Uh, they were transitioning a lot of the jobs back to Hong Kong, China. And so guess what? I was one of those people. <laughs> I was like, wow. All right, cool. The irony is I left a job for something I thought would be more stable and boom, you know, yeah. eight months later. I was like, it's okay, because I had applied to uh, grad school to finish up my master's at this point, because I had taken a very long time off, okay. and so I was like, let me just finish that out. So it came at a perfect time. I was like, oh, unemployment, yay, and I went to school and finished up my master's. And, and what, what were you finishing up? your master's up in? It was in media studies, and uh, it you know, my goal was to eventually get like uh, a doctorate or something in film theory, but that did, has not happened. It probably will not happen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I wound up um, moving to LA within that after that because I wound up dating somebody, and he was like, "Just move, move to LA and live with me." And I was like, "Okay." So that's how like the new journey started. <laughs> okay, and so when was this? Um, I guess I moved officially 2012. So we're getting into this, the correct decade. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, but you're still like, um, hopping around jobs quite easily, even like post recession and just getting opportunities. What to me feels like, oh, and then I just got this next thing. And then this recruiter contacted me and it just turned into this next job. And I went across the street. I mean, just seems to have happened so easily for you. There was a lot of time, like, especially in like 2007, 2008, I wasn't working. Okay. Sat at home. There were you know, gaps. a lot okay. of common. Yeah. You know, so I'm just leaving all that out. But okay. there was definitely a lot of like, oh, I'm not going to be able to pay rent and, you know, call my mom and dad. Like, please help me. Yeah. You're starving. Yeah. Yeah. So there were so some def- tough gaps where you're like applying to everything and waiting for something. It was like apply to 50 jobs, maybe get two people to write you back. And then you go on the interview and they're just like, you're like, a, I don't want to work here, or B, they they loathe me. <laughs> I remember going on one interview, and the woman was like, you're clearly not for us. And I was uh, like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and I went on another interview, and it was for, like, uh, printing graphics, I think, for sportswear, like, uh, for sports, collegiate sports type, you know, one of those licensing companies. Uh-huh. And I thought it was going really well until I had to stop the interview, like, for, like, two seconds because there was a cat hair stuck in my mouth. So I'm sitting there, like, I'm sorry, 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 sir. And, like, trying to fish the cat hair out of my mouth for, like, oh my God. did not get that job. So, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, horror and depression and just despair for, you know, several months. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad to talk. I mean, I know it's never fun to like relive that type of stuff, but I'm glad to kind of open up the reality of that because I think, you know, hearing your story prior to this last, you know, 60 seconds can feel like, I mean, that's how I was feeling was like, oh, you just kept getting all these jobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then it's like, sometimes you do have to do the like apply to 50 things. You maybe hear back from three or four. You maybe get one or two interviews. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a harsh reality. Yeah, because I what, what happens a lot is um, I get emails from people who tell me that story. They're like, I've applied to fifty things and I haven't heard back. And sometimes I'm like, Well, what does your application look like? Sometimes I'm like, Well, sometimes that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. It really depends. It's it's usually that's just what it is because you figure maybe there's like a hundred and fifty people applying for the same ten or twelve jobs. Yeah, and. And because the industry is, as they always say, it's so small, you wind up eventually getting to know almost everybody. Yeah. You're all you're like, oh, the same. You know, you know, three or four people going up for the same job as you. And you're yeah. like, oh, so you're like competing just, against yeah. your friends. Yeah, I mean that happened to me fairly recently. I applied for a job at a very well-known denim company here, and um, I got an interview. And then I was like, I thought it went really well. And then I heard from a mutual former coworker. She was like, oh, uh, our friend B is applying for that too. And I was like, oh man, B's really, really good. <laughs> She's also got like, you know, like seven years, you know, uh, seniority on me in this yeah. in, in debt. And she actually used to work at that company before. So I was like, she's going to get it. And, you know, I was like, not mad. And I was just like, because I know she deserved it more than me in a weird way. And I just knew she would be so much better at it. So yeah. I was just like, all right. I just kind of was like, and then I found out, you know, I talked to B and she was like, yeah, I'm getting my second interview with them. And I had never gotten called back for the second one. So I was like, I'm really proud of you. You go. So yeah. great. You know, yeah. I haven't heard back to see if she got it, but my fingers are crossed for her. Yeah. We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now, back to the episode. Um, okay, so so there is some hardship in here, and there is some like struggle yes. to like get the next thing. Um, Absolutely. And then you wind up moving from New York to L.A., uh, mm-hmm. and so what, what do you wind up doing in LA when you get there? Um, I lived with my dude at the time, <laughs> uh, we're no longer together, but whatever. And, um, I think I went through brief as most people do when they move to LA, they're like, Oh, I'm going to become a screenwriter or actor or whatever. So I was like, I wrote a screenplay, but you know, whatever <laughs> that didn't go very far. Um, so she's like, all right, I guess I'll go back into the industry. I mean, which I would try to say to myself, I don't want to go back. But having at this point, like almost 10 years of experience, I was just like, this is what I know. Yeah. And LA is also another hotbed for fashion. So I was like, all right. And so I applied to some things and I wound up getting hired as a product developer for uh, Forever 21. I was like, should I mention them? I, ugh. But anyway, wow. they're going through some is now yeah i know it's quite yeah. a quite a interesting debacle right now um yeah and so that was like 2012 13 14 2012 okay 12. 2012 and um so i was hired as a product developer i worked directly with the owner uh one of the owners and that team was basically i mean you don't go to forever 21 for new innovative fashion you go there for knockoffs of 
high-end things because that's exactly what we did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, I wasn't designing. I'm going to be honest, like 95% of that job was just me watching the owner buy stuff. Like I didn't go with her, but she would go to like, I don't know, Zara, her big thing was Zara. And then she would just buy like a bajillion pieces, have them try it on and then just give it to the production team and send it out. Be like, knock this off, change the zipper. Or a lot of times it was me just, um, honestly standing up photocopying for like 75% of the day photocopying specs and it was just the most boring job I've ever had it was miserable yeah and what was like I can imagine the turnaround time and the volume that you guys went through was insane yes that company I mean (laughs) I don't want to get in trouble I don't want to get them in trouble but like they definitely had the ability to like put factories out of business like the way that their um verbiage was set up like they could cancel up through the the pre uh the pre-pro stage which at that point usually you know all your bulk fabric is bought so if a factory has you know like 150,000 units maybe they've spent you know a lot of money to get all this fabrication you know like they've got rolls and bolts fabric and trim and then forever 21 says no drop it cancel it now they're stuck with you know i don't know $200,000 worth of stuff and you oh do this like God. five or six times, boom, you're out like a couple million. And so that was, they didn't care. That was just kind of like their, their thing. Wow. Yeah. So that was a pretty unique eye-opening experience, I imagine. Uh, yes, it was. It basically was like, I am never working here again. And uh, the turnaround uh, there, the, people left there constantly. I think in the time that I was there, I think retention rate was probably like 16% or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it was just understood. It was churn and burn, as the saying is. <laughs> so I, I remember I would wake up at 4 a.m., like getting ready to go to work because I took the train uh, and I would just cry. It was, like, it was just such a miserable place to be. Oh. And I think, and I think it's, it's, if, you were, if you were fresh out of fashion school, you don't know any better. So you're like, this is it. This is, this is, you know, the industry, but having come from, you know, the decades worth of like experience elsewhere and like, this is not how it's supposed to be, you know, where you have the owner approving lab dips, which is to me, absolutely ridiculous. Like really? Yeah, that's wild. You're a multi-billion dollar, you know, industry. And the very head of the company, she's sitting there looking at, at buttons, button submits, you know, like, I don't like this button. I'm like, who cares? It's a button. (laughs) And you guys are pumping out like thousands of styles in like five seconds. And like, she's spending the time to tweak over one button. Yeah. There was like, I think that there would be like a gong at like four o'clock or something. And so all the, the the teams would line up to show the issues and stuff like that. It was, it was really, because I mean, I will say, I will give them props because they came from a very small, you know, they came, they started from like a little shop, you know? So I think they were still operating in that mentality only they had grown to at this point to a billion dollar company. So it was just like, you kind of have to relinquish some control and like designate it to other people. But I think they just didn't understand that. But I will say like, they went from literally nothing to being billionaires in like what, 10 years. So I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, despite, you know, maybe some of the practices of how they did it. Um, yeah. So how long, how long did you last? How long was your retention? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, let's see. Seven months. Oh, seven pretty months. short. Yes. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Yeah. Uh, and so I wound up getting a job. I was using, I think, what is it? At this point, LinkedIn was like the thing, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, I found a job on LinkedIn, and, and I wound up getting a job uh, with 
a vendor of Forever 21. So basically, the one of the companies that supplied to them um, doing graphics and as a designer. So this is like the beginning of where I, you know, my design career started. Yeah. Yeah. So explain that role a little bit. Um, and like, what exactly were you designing? I was designing uh, knits and sweaters, mostly knits. So like t-shirts, sweatshirts, sweatpants, shorts, things like that. If things are like fleece, cotton jersey, uh, you know, something like that with graphics on it because we were a graphics driven company. Okay. So um, what I would do, the process uh, was basically, let's see, scour all the websites for inspiration, AKA, you know, cut, copy and paste images, send them to the buyer and be like, okay, which ones do you like for inspiration, for creative direction? So he would pick, you know, certain tears. And then from there, I would assign them to my graphics team. I'd be like, okay, so using this as inspiration, put this on, you know, like 10 bodies or something. So from there, we'd, and then we'd, uh, he'd pick from there, we'd sample them up, and then we'd have the meeting, and he'd pick from there. So that was, that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, what did you enjoy so much about that job? Um, it was being creative and was also being technical because, um, I don't, it depends on like how different companies are set up, but some designers just purely crank out designs. They don't do the technical part of actually making it come to life. Whereas at this company, um, let's say, you know, uh, we come up with the concept of like a t-shirt with, I don't know, donuts all over it or something like a graphic print of donuts. So there I would actually have to, my graphic designer would come up with, would do the technical part of the graphic part, you know, and I would do the design of the the garment. So it would be, let's say, I don't know, a basic long sleeve crew neck and 230 grams of, I don't know, French terry. I want like a silicone wash, blah, blah, blah. I pick up the color. So that was more fun. But again, also you have to know, um, illustrator. All your software. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a lot of sketching of bodies and stuff like that, you know, different, you know, silhouettes. And that was fun. I really liked it. You were feeling like maybe you were getting a good balance between the Excel and the spreadsheets and the technical and also the design. Yeah, it was mostly like very little Excel. I remember at one point prior to this job, I was like, oh, the ideal job is where I never have to work in Excel again. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's when I know I've made it. Yeah. I was like, oh. I think I'm there. I'm getting there. Yay. I'm not sure that no Excel exists. It, it's not possible. <laughs> at this company, I think because they were it was such a small company, we really didn't need Excel at the time. But, um, you know, uh, they're an anomaly. Yeah. That way. yeah. Yeah. So did that one last a little bit longer? I was there for almost two years. Okay. And what happened was... Uh, this is like some behind the scenes crap that happens a lot. One of the uh, former colleagues of this company started her own company and, you know, she worked also with Forever 21 and spread some lies and rumors about my, that current company that I was at, which led Forever 21 to stop working with us for some time, oh. which that meant like, oh, that's my account. So guess what? I got laid off. So. Oh, your account directly was Forever 21. Yes, I was. The, oh, so the, interesting. Yeah. But like work, I mean, it was great to work outside. Sure. Of, you know, right, right, not right. to work, you know, in the company, but to work with them. I was like, that's fine. Yeah. You know? and, and so, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, and so I got laid off. And yeah. Because Forever 21 heard these rumors and then shut right. down. Okay. Yeah. They stopped working with us for, I mean, I think they started working with them again after, but that would took like maybe like six or seven months. And by that point I was like, you know. Yeah. My life's changed, so goodbye. Yeah. Don't care. 
So how did you make that transition from Forever 21 to then working for the vendor of Forever 21? Did you have a relationship and you like kind of approached them for an opportunity or how did that work? Actually, I found the, the the job listing on LinkedIn. I applied, and because the owner of this company was just, he was very, like, type A, very, like, now, 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 I went and met with them, uh, and they hired me, like, by before I even got home, he left a message. Oh, wow. But, because I, but the minute, I, I think they were looking for someone with an in at Forever 21, ah. and so having come from there, they're like, boom. Like, I remember they looked at each, the, the two owners looked at each other, like, with, like, I could see, like, a little light bulb, you know? Yeah. And they're like, oh, perfect. She can go on the meetings and this and that. And so I think I already kind of came in with, I don't know, uh, with the right qualifications. Right. Well, a I've, lot of times who they're looking for, it's like they're looking for a very, something very specific. So, yeah. and that's why a lot of times like, you're like, I'm perfect for this job. Why won't they hire me? It's because they don't tell you this. They're looking for something very specific that even though you might have all the, the background and the experience. Maybe there's you're missing something specific that they're not going to tell you, but they're looking for that. Right, and in this in this situation, it could be like a relationship thing. Like you had the relationship at Forever Twenty One, like you knew the inner workings of that business, um, and that company, and so you could, you know, it was easy. It was a, a easy plug and play for you to be in on some of those meetings and stuff, like you said. Right. Well, I mentioned that specifically because um, <laughs> I have gotten many emails from people who have um, told me their painful stories of working for these fast fashion companies and they want to get out and all this other sort of thing. And so I look at sort of your exit strategy and maybe you didn't do it like super strategically in the moment, but in hindsight, it was really smart. It's like, okay, maybe that big piece of value that you bring to the table is your connection to that fast fashion company and then the vendor that makes you very attractive to one of the vendors and so for someone listening who might be stuck in one of these fast fashion rat races like think about that as an opportunity of how to transition to something else absolutely i would also say like a lot of companies when you're applying they're looking for someone with like mass market experience like they're always looking for someone like target walmart you know ross yeah so like I know it's not the most glamorous, but it, I mean, when you sell to those big box stores, that's where the money is. You think like, oh, if I'm going to sell like $2,000 pants, I'm going to be rich now because you're only selling like eight of those. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's like the, the $5 t-shirt that you're selling at like, you know, 50,000 units in, you know, three different colors. That's where the money is. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound, it's not as fun, but that's where the money is. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I talk a lot about sort of like everyday fashion for everyday people. And like that's where the majority of the market is, right? It's like Absolutely. what's sold at Target and Walmart and Costco, right? Yep. Like all these places. Yeah, yeah right? Like best, they would be the best account to get. It's totally. Just like, yeah. So it's often the majority of fashion is actually not these amazing things you see on the runway, the Absolutely. bread and butter yeah. of it is this everyday fashion for everyday people. Yeah. I mean, at my last company or two companies ago where I was doing denim, I'd, you know, I'd be like, oh, I love this. This is so cool. But guess what? Cool doesn't necessarily sell. My boss was like, that's great, but we're looking for, you know, basic core. Like core yeah. is what sells, is what, you know, Kohl's is going to buy yes. 100,000 units of. They're not going to buy this crazy, wacky, cool jean that you personally, as the designer, love yeah. because it, it hits your sweet spot because <laughs> the, the average person in, in mid-America is not going to wear that. They're like, that looks crazy. You yeah. look like an idiot, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. 
So, um, okay, so you worked for the vendor, and then that fizzled because of the rumors and, and whatnot. And so where'd you go then? Uh, let's see. I kind of just hung out for a little bit and wound up freelancing it from home. This is where, like, you know, your stuff became really super helpful. Um, and I went up getting eventually a full-time job for a uh, private label company that also did some branded in L.A. They were known for denim. Okay. And I was hired to do men's uh, graphic knits. They wanted to expand one of their branded lines. And so I was hired to, you know, do that. Okay. That was Cool. Yeah. Can you explain private label for people listening who might not know what that is? Sure. Okay. So uh, branded is, you know, something with the, you know, the name like, I don't know, Guess or uh, Benetton. I'm trying to think of brand names that I can't right now because I just woke <laughs> up. But private label is when you go into stores and the company or like the store has its own label and they'll, they'll buy something from private label and put their um, name on it. For instance, uh, if you go into Nordstrom, their private label is BP. I think it's called Blue Pearl. And they also have other ones for kids. So uh, I would design for their private label. So they would come to me or, you know, my company and be like, okay, for, for this upcoming season, or this is what we're looking to develop into. So they would give concepts or, you know, basically just this, this jacket, you know, with this kind of a wash. And so from there, we would, you know, design it, develop it, get it to them, and they would buy it. And from there, they owned it because it's a private label. Right. And they can, you know, adjust it as they would like. And they put their own label on it they right. sell it under whatever brand that they want to right and a lot of stores have like m- multiple yeah. of their own brands yeah like but typically, bulldog or whatever yeah, yeah but typically yeah. gets outsourced to some type of company that actually manages the design right. and development of it exactly like all yeah. the stuff at like k or not kmart or target you know like all those t-shirts and stuff it's all private label yep 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 yeah. um okay so so now it was a denim company, but you weren't actually doing denim. You were doing, you said men's graphic knits and stuff. Correct. Because okay. I was like, like how did you get into denim? Because that seems like a big shift. Well, that's, well, the company was known for that. And I think what happened was uh, my boss was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do his French accent, which I'm not going to do. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's funny what I do with my old coworkers. It's not funny what I'm doing on the podcast. But basically he said like the sales team wasn't, didn't have the right connections or the right buyers to sell the knits to. So I went up moving into, um, because the company had recently laid off a bunch of people, I managed to finally escape that uh, for the first time. And um, they needed a junior's denim designer. So they just brought me over there. I transferred into that department. Wow. And uh, yeah, wow. So I started to learn a whole new thing. And the thing is, Prior to this, I was always like, denim is a completely own animal. It is very different yeah. from, you know, knits or or wovens. It's just very different. That's why I was wondering. I'm like, that's a big jump for someone to make. Yeah. yeah. So I went from designing, you know, do, doing things in fleece and jersey. All of a sudden, I'm like learning about denim and, you know, or like hard wovens, like different kinds of uh, like fabrications. I'm just like, oh, Okay. Yeah. We're complicated. And like all the washes and finishes and sandblasting. Yes. I mean, I don't know that world very well. I don't know that world at all. But I can I, just only I imagine. As I went and I was like, there's so much to learn, like different casts. You know, you have different whisker patterns and all these different things. And I was like, 
wow, but that's actually what made it really cool and fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed it because it's so many different parts. Whereas like, you know, a t-shirt's a t-shirt. I'm sorry, but you know, <laughs> you put a different wash on it. You can maybe, you know, slice up the neck or crop it or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's a t-shirt, you know, but you buy it with, when it comes to denim, different kinds of, you know, denim claws will yield different results. And, you know, certain fabric, certain denims won't wash the same way. So you can't just assign like a certain denim be like, okay, I want it to have this, this really cool acid wash because it might not work out that way. Yeah. So it's a lot of like learning different steps. And that was actually a lot of fun. So you were designing men's primarily jeans? I was, uh, I was doing juniors, young men's, and uh, yeah, juniors and young men's. And eventually I was also doing some of the kids stuff for Nordstrom. Okay. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I really loved, I, that was like the best. I just had so much fun. I loved my coworkers. Every day was great, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it sounds like that came to an end though. It did. After three years, what happened was um, the owners decided they wanted to move the headquarters in the design process to the New York office. So they kind of laid off the entire design team and moved to New York. So all right, that, that kind of stinks, but you know what? That's reality too. I mean, like things happen beyond your control. You just kind of have to go with the flow. They do. And I know like the, the fashion industry is, is known for layoffs. Um, Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, the joke is like everybody, once you get to a certain age, you're like, how do I get out? (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of my friends and former colleagues have transitioned into other things. Like, uh, a lot of them have moved into real estate. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's, that's interesting. They go into real estate, which I guess it's lucrative, but you know, personally, that's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so were you still sort of having some of these like gaps and, um, you know, excessive, okay. Excessive application processes in between all these jobs still. Oh my gosh. Yes. So you know, a lot of just kind of like taking like two week freelance jobs or a lot of times just sitting on your butt applying to like 15 jobs a day. And it's the same 15, 30 jobs. You're just applying and you're like, hear nothing. Like, I remember one time I was like, I applied to at least 35 jobs and heard nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, what's happening? But I mean, at this point also, you you have to, I mean, I was thinking, okay, 50 other people with the exact same experience as me or similar, you know, all just got released into the wild. Yeah. And and then you hear about other companies are like, oh, why am I just laid off people? Ooh, Celebrity Pink just laid off people. So you're like, great. There's more people out there looking for the same 10 jobs. And so we're all just you know, rat racing. Yeah. Were you ever able to see any success in getting jobs through your network and and the people you knew in the industry? I I mean, I imagine at this point, you know, quite a few people. Absolutely. I will say like the current job that I have now, I got through my former coworker. We worked together again because like we worked together great back then. It's happy. I'm so happy to work with her now. Uh, Also, when I was posting on Facebook, like, I need something. Uh, a friend of mine that I'd worked with back in New York, she at the time was like a VP, a creative VP of design at a, like a boys wear sportswear company or something. So she had some freelance that she assigned to me. So I was able to do it from home. Yeah. So, you know, it honestly, networking is hugely important because if people don't know that you're looking uh, you know, they're not going to think of you. And right. like now, like, if I get calls from recruiters and I'm like, well, I'm not looking, but Hey, my friend, so-and-so I know she's, you know, looking or my friend, he's really available, so I will pass them on. It's it's huge to have a good network. Yeah. 
And it sounds like that has treated you well, but, but despite that, there still have been those gaps where you're just like, I can't find anything. And like you said, sometimes it's because there's this mass of layoffs and it like might be like 50 people instantly flooded the market at the same time with all very similar qualifications in the same market and category. Exactly. You're just like, great. Yeah. Now the, the competition's even more fierce. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of times you can see on LinkedIn, if you, if for the jobs that are available, you're like, 250 other people have applied to this job. Oh, <laughs> like, gosh. I'm not even going to bother. I mean, they're usually, usually for the companies that are a little more, you know, with a, a cachet to the name. You're like, oh, it's, I don't even know, like Acme or something. Yeah. Acme jeans or something. So people want to work there or, you know, um, what's that? You know, the, the denim jean by the Kardashians. Like, they want to work there, you know, but people don't want to work with private label usually. Like, what is that? Right. But, and yes, there's not a lot of glamour to it. There isn't, but guess what? There's money and stability. There is. Yes. Oh, I'm really glad to hear you say that because it's something I've talked a lot about um, specifically when it comes to some of the freelancing stuff, but it applies to full-time work as well. It's not glamorous, but it tends to be more stable, be less drama, um, Mm -hmm. pay better, just overall like a healthier environment. Absolutely. So you don't get that name on your resume, but... There's a lot of other trade-offs that you do get. Yeah, you're like, all right, I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've I've also noticed like the people that tend to work in like the higher or high end or whatever companies with niche, they stick there. You know, once let's say you start at a high end company, you're going to go there. And if you're a private label, you generally can't make the jump, which is why I feel like when I've tried to apply to certain things like Frame or something, they don't even look at me. Yeah, they're just like, bye. You I don't like this history. Fine. Yeah. Exactly. I don't have the pedigree, but at the same time, I have the exact same experience, exact same, you know, knowledge. I might actually have more, you know, experience, but they want somebody that's coming from, you know, something with another brand name. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned, I'm curious to know, cause I think it's something that a lot of people listening have gone through, like how you've handled some of these gaps in employment over the years. It sounds like it's, it happens fairly frequently. And I know that you're not the only person. Um, I know you mentioned that sometimes you fill in with these short little freelance stints, but like, um, you know, like financially and mentally and emotionally, it can be really hard to go through those. What are some of the ways that you've kind of kept yourself sane? Um, try to go to the gym, do something <laughs> physical, you know, like leave the house. Because yeah. <laughs> I definitely had days where I was like, oh, I haven't brushed my teeth or left the house for like five days. And my yeah. boyfriend's like, yeah, you're gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> you definitely need to like force yourself to be social. Because it's very easy to like just sink into the couch and just eat Doritos and watch bad movies. It's just like feeling sorry for yourself, but nothing's good. good nothing good happens to you if you don't put yourself out there. So you got to keep applying, and you know it's like soul sucking. You have to keep applying, keep talking to people, uh, just just keep doing stuff and try to save money. Keep applying. Take take whatever job you can. In the meantime, if it's a little like two week project or like even a two day project. And you think it's beneath you, whatever, it still will give you 500 bucks in your pocket. Take yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the same. Um, I interviewed a recruiter on the podcast quite a few episodes ago, but she mentioned the same thing. She goes, you know, you want to stick out for like the, the full-time permanent job. You want to stick out for something that does kind of meet your qualifications. Don't start applying for a bunch of stuff that's really below you, but you can fill in with a lot of those little freelance things in between Absolutely. to help fill the gap. Yeah, it also keeps you busy. Yeah. 
it looks like you're actually, you know, you can you're just doing keep something. This, right? Freelance. Yeah. yeah. It's a, as long as you look like you're doing something on your resume, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. And stay current. Like I would also say, like, revamp your res- uh, revamp your resume revamp your portfolio and like maybe make 16 different versions if you want to apply to kids wear you know make one that's more focused on kids wear if you're applying to denim do one that has a denim don't be putting all your knit stuff in there which i'm you know i've learned yeah. <laughs> don't portfolio. like they're like great what am i supposed to do with this i see that you can do knits but i need to know you can do denim yeah so i mean you have all the time in the world so you might as well use it wisely because the minute you get a new job, you're like, oh, crap, I can't do anything anymore. I have no time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you talk about that because, um, you know, I know there's other designers out there who have a plethora of experience like you have knits and denim and kids and men's and women's and fast fashion and all this other stuff. But it's you can't just have one portfolio full of all that stuff and blast it out to everybody. They only want to see the thing that's relevant to them. Yes. And actually, one one of your emails, I remember reading that and I was like, Dang, she's right. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I started, you know, making separate ones. I was like, okay. And, you know, you don't need to pay a lot to have a fancy portfolio. There are websites like Coraflot that are free. Yep. And you can just set up different, um, different, uh, I guess, little pages or clicks or whatever so that you can have one that's separate just for denim, one that's just for kids, one that's so that way when you send the, you know, the recruiter or whoever, like the hiring manager, you just send them the links that are pertinent to the job that you're applying to. And that way they're not like looking at, I mean, they can click around, look at your portfolio if they want to, but at least they're seeing what's pertinent. Right off the bat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you notice a difference in your response rate once you kind of dialed in what you were sending to people instead of just blasting them with everything? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but at the same time, you know, it's still, it's still not the easiest, but there was definitely a difference. I was like, oh, (laughs) duh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing to hear. Um, Okay. So you were at the denim company doing, you know, men's and juniors and kids denim. And then, then where'd you go? Um, I wound up just kind of doing the freelance thing for a little bit, like trying to figure out what my next move was. And this was actually a somewhat painful uh six months I was like what am I doing a lot of existential questions and then I went up getting hired at another denim company and that was you know like six months like right as my unemployment was about to run out and I was like oh ooh, thank goodness for that yeah yeah a lot of times it's like you know things just happen a lot of times you just kind of have to just believe that the universe is out there to help you <laughs> I know it, it's stupid to say but like you kind of just got to keep focusing on the positive but at the same time you have to keep applying because if you don't go with forward motion nothing's going to happen right no one's even going to know you exist if you just stop doing anything yeah yeah and so is that where you are now no no (laughs) absolutely okay we're getting close though aren't we yes yes I have a very storied history (laughs) um yeah this company um is not has very high turnover rate as well let's just I'll leave it at that where you're at now or the denim company where you're at now Okay. My last job. Okay. It was just not good for me. And uh, a lot of people left. Uh, and I, I, I'm going to be honest, the minute, like, maybe like two months in, I started looking for new jobs. Oh, is that bad? It, it, it's not a good place to be. I still am in touch with some people that work there, and they text me every day, like, you're so lucky you're out. Oh, <laughs> gosh. So-and-so did today. I'm like, <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, it, it's par for course. There are a lot of companies... That that stink. I mean, there may be. They're usually privately owned, like family-owned companies, that because they can get away with a lot more. But that's just 
the reality of, you know, small businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you started looking for other jobs and then does that lead us to where you are now? Yes, because I had posted on Facebook, like, uh, maybe I should try to get out of this industry. Like, you know, <laughs> everybody else does after like, you know, 10 years, which is like, I'm tired of being laid off. I'm tired yeah. of this. And uh, so my old coworker that I worked with at the graphic company, she saw that I was looking. She's like, hey, you know, I think we're looking for somebody. You know, let me get you in touch with her. And, you know, boom, like two weeks later, there I was hired. So brilliant. And that's, you know, yeah. yeah. And that was, I think I'm in my like, second month at this place and it's pretty chill oh like so it. it's still pretty new okay yeah still pretty new and it's you're graphics. doing graphics back to graphics back to graphics specifically what I'm a graphic artist I'm also doing some graphic design so like designing like graphics for t-shirts and stuff like that um yeah so like a lot of the technical stuff there's definitely some <laughs> there's lots of illustrator photoshop there's some excel yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and it's just, a, it's a pretty chill job. I mean, I like it. And um, and I know that the company is poised. They're a new company and they're poised to double their sales in the next, you know, six months. So I'm like, that's good. We're oh, on the upswing amazing. here. Yeah. yeah. Um, big broad question, but how would you compare, because it sounds like you've been about f- almost half and half in New York and in LA, but working mm-hmm. in the in the fashion industry in both cities. How would you compare and contrast your experiences between New York companies versus LA companies, like on a, on a big scale, if you could? Well, let's see. I would say New York, everybody, not everybody, but most of the companies are in Manhattan. So you're in those giant high rises. It's very clean. It's tidy. Not not necessarily clean, but everybody's, it's easy to get to, you know, you take, jump on the subway, boom, there you are in Herald Square or 42nd Street, you know, um, in LA, it's, LA is a huge sprawl of the city. Yeah. And a lot of times you might wind up working in like a factory, not a factory, but like a warehouse. Like my last company, the last denim place, they're old, they actually moved, uh, spaces, but the old, um, facility was in a very dilapidated warehouse and our design studio, if you can even call it that, <laughs> was on the second floor of a very creaky building where there were like leaks whenever it rained. Oh my God. In LA. But you know, it, it's very different because you're ex- a lot of times in LA because you have more space, you actually have the sewers on the floor. You might actually have, you know, you can go downstairs and there are people that you can just give your design to and they can sew it right then and there for you. Gotcha. So it's a little bit different, yeah. Yeah. And then anything specifically on like the, um, what am I trying to say? Not the work ethic, but just like the work experience as an employee, like the pace or the hours or like maybe how you're treated. Do you notice any big differences between the two coasts? I would say uh, L.A. because you're three hours behind. It's a little more relaxed because L.A. in general is a little more relaxed. I've been told I'm uptight here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember in New York, it was very now, now, now. Uh, I, I, I used to do this to my poor graphic designer when I was in uh, development. I'd get comments that things need to be provided. So I'd go to my graphic designer. I'd stand over her. We were like good friends. Like We would hang out after work. I'd be like, hey, I need you to fix this right now. And I'd stand there and... You know, I didn't understand at the time just how much time goes into revising a graphic. Because if someone did that to me now, I might just, like, punch them. Yeah. <laughs> like, get out. Yeah, like, hovering over the shoulder, like, get it yeah. done right now on the spot. Exactly. I mean, I can't, I will never do that next. Now that I've learned, you can't do that to, a, like, the creatives, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's, a. I mean, L.A. is also better known for denim. That's what, a lot of domestic stuff happens here because we do have the facilities. Mm-hmm. Um 
you can you can just go to certain areas of, of the city and buy fabric right there and then take it to like there are a lot of jobs for um, designers in LA where basically your job is in your car because you're going to go buy your fabrication at one place take it to your seller at a second place and take it to wherever like the finisher at a third place so which thankfully I don't do because I don't drive <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean there, there are a lot of design jobs that are like that yeah so it's a little bit different yeah, a little bit more. I mean, I guess in a way there's opportunity to do that more like the hands-on, like actual process of production. Much more hands-on. Yeah. Because in LA, in, in LA, because you can do a lot of domestic stuff, whereas in New York, I would say 99% of it would be import. Everything goes Everything to China. Is, it goes yeah. to, you know, wherever. Yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, what a whirlwind of a career. And it all kickstarted from this like random temp job at Ralph Lauren. I mean, I can't, I can't really get over that to be honest. Um, like what an opportunity to, I mean, there's people out there who would literally like beg for that opportunity to just be like, Oh, there's my, and my free entry in. Um, and look what it kickstarted for you. So it sounds like you've had some hot and cold moments about how much you do or don't love it. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, I do love this industry. There were more, you know, uh, stability. Yeah. But it it can be a wild ride and you meet a lot of fun and crazy and interesting people. Yeah. And a lot of terrible people, but that's that's (laughs) life. (laughs) You know what, (laughs) though? It's so funny, though, because I think that, like, when you get really deep into many industries, there's very few that don't wind up being crazy and intense and all these terrible stories and a little bit um, abusive and there's great people and there's bad people. Like at the end of the day, I sometimes think that's just the business and the working world. Yeah, it probably is. (laughs) So I didn't just know that from like people I know who are in other industries who've been in them for, you know, 10, 20 years and you hear the stories and you're like, well, in a way this does happen in a lot of other places too. Yeah, it does. So... Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Selena. Um, where can everybody connect with you online? Uh, I am on LinkedIn. I think I'm under Selena Leong or Selinester. I forget which. Okay. We'll find mm-hmm. it and link to you in the show notes. Yeah. And you can also get me at, let's see, I'm on Instagram at Selinester. Okay. And, oh, let's see. And on Twitter as Trepverter. You tweet. Is, yeah. I do, but nothing exciting. I just complain about food. Oh, Okay. My tweets are about food. I don't meet many people in the fashion industry who actually use Twitter. Yeah, I just tweet about food. Oh, that's funny. Not that interesting. Okay, but maybe someone's into food and and, and wants to connect with you that way. So Twitter might be the best platform. You're in LA and you want to go get some dumplings and you want to talk about fashion, I'm down. Let's do it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, well, we'll link to all your social handles in the show notes. Um, And I would love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview, and that is, what is one thing you wish people would ask you about working in fashion, but they never do? Huh. That's a good question. I, I, huh. I don't know. I, I what did people usually say? <laughs> um, probably the most common answer is what's the day-to-day really like? And then it's something to the extent of like, it's not, you know, a lot of the stereotype of working in fashion is like, oh, it's just glamorous yeah. and you're like drawing and draping fabric all day and hanging out on the runway. And it's like, actually, that's really not what it is. Um, so I that's definitely that, the most common. 
I think that would actually probably be my response too, because people are like, oh, you're a fashion designer. Like, you're like I meet them at, let's say, a, you know, a dinner party or something. Yeah. Like, that must be really cool and glamorous. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm just <laughs> pulling inspiration from, you know, the runway shows and then I'm just going to copy it. <laughs> or, you know, I'm looking at websites or like going to, you know, forward by Elise Walker or whatever, ASOS or something. It's like pulling inspiration from there and just going to copy it. <laughs> it's not as exciting as you think. Yeah. And spending a lot of time in Illustrator and Excel. Yep. And you know what? Screaming a lot at Illustrator because why is it not doing what I want it to do? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of wanting to throw your computer out the window moments. Yep. And I learned, see, I, usually that's when I use your, your, your website. I'm like, okay, what is she going to tell me to do? <laughs> why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and all of your insights and working in fashion. Um, And congrats on the career trajectory. I know it's been a bumpy ride. I think everybody's has been, but you've, you know, you, you grew this whole thing out of really nothing. Thank you. I thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I really appreciate you being here and listening to the show. If it weren't for all of you, the show would not exist. Uh, Now, I'm going to ask you three things. One, the number one thing you can do to help support the SFD podcast, which I'll remind you, we do not do ads or sponsors because the show is sponsored by you. And the best way you can help us with that is first by sharing the podcast with a friend or someone that you know who could benefit from this. We really appreciate you spreading the word about what we're doing here. Second, if you enjoy the podcast, please take a second and write us a review on Apple Podcasts on iTunes. It really, really does go so far in helping the show grow and build momentum. So we really appreciate you doing that. And last, if you haven't yet, make sure to sign up to get access to the best free resources beyond what we have here on the SFD podcast. I've got tons of tutorials, templates, eBooks, and all sorts of other stuff to help you get ahead in the fashion industry. You can do that by heading over to soheidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. And if email is not your thing, then connect with me on Instagram. I do hang out there a fair bit. Um, That is also at soheidi. So at S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I. As always, um, I do want to quickly mention two people behind the scenes who make this show possible that you may not know exist, but my husband, Mark, who does all of the tech and editing, he makes sure the audio sounds good and really, really helps make sure the show comes together and sounds good in your earbuds. So thank you so much to him, as well as my right-hand woman, Tara, who helps get the show published, get it out to you, make sure that it is available on Monday morning when you expect it to be available. And she also does a tremendous amount of work to coordinate and get the guests here for each of these interviews. So thank you so much to Tara and Mark for all your behind the scenes work. As always, if you want to check out any of the resources mentioned in this episode to connect with Selena or whatever it is, scroll down to get the show notes wherever you are listening. Thanks so much again. And I will talk to you in the next successful fashion designer podcast episode.